0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. You're joined by me, your host Rebecca, and of course my wonderful, wonderful sidekick, Edith. Now this is a little bit of a different episode. I have uploaded the live Q&A that I do with my group every Friday, just so that you can get a little bit more of an insight into the day-to-day difficulties that many people struggle with. It's where I answer questions and give some feedback. And I am going to also apologise that I am suffering with a cold, with some flu. So there is a little bit of coughing throughout. I hope you enjoy the episode. And of course, if you have any questions, please do reach out. My details are in the show notes. And of course, if you are interested in coaching, that is also linked below. Good morning everybody. I hope everybody's having a grand week. Firstly I just want to start by saying thank you so much for all of your well wishes. I am feeling marginally better today and my voice is slowly returning. Um, So we've got quite a lot to get through today so I'm going to crack on. Now one of the first things I just wanted to talk about actually was training whilst you're poorly so I've been chatting to a couple of clients this week who have perhaps been suffering with flu uh, maybe a cold or maybe you've even had COVID and a lot of people try and push through exhaustion and for whatever reason it's been portrayed in society now that to be successful we need to be doing more and the only way you can be successful is to do more and it's this whole grind mentality isn't it but actually it drives you to such a place of disconnection from your body that you can't actually recognize that your body's trying to heal for you. Your body's trying to fight this off for you. And if you're trying to push through exhaustion, not only is that gonna increase and prolong you getting better, but it's actually gonna increase things like your hunger. It's gonna increase your emotions and it's gonna disengage you with other helpful health activities that perhaps are gonna serve you well at that time. Now, I'm saying this from past experience. I have done it, I'm not even gonna lie. Like the amount of times I was just like, oh, I'll just push on. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And actually what perhaps was like a two week long uh, flu or virus turned into like a four week, turned into like a six week. And then it was, I was finding myself like overeating in certain times because I was exhausted and I wasn't getting anything from my training sessions and like training should make you feel better. You're not going in the training session to burn your calories. You're going in a training session to build some muscle mass. You can't build muscle mass when you haven't got the available energy. Your body's needing energy right now to recover and recognizing Things outside of training that you can do to support your mental health, to support your physical health, which is why we look at alternative activities. So it could just be going for a mindful walk. It could just be reaching out to your friends, going for a coffee, even just resting. And resting is not lazy. If you associate it with being lazy, it's because you struggle to rest, and then you play into what society um, portray as being success: overworking, exhaustion, burnout. Absolutely not. Taking a step back and Showing some positive affirmation towards your body that your body is now fighting this, like my immune system is doing absolutely everything it can to get me better. Why would I go and then try and fight it? Because that's exactly what you do. You try and fight against your body's natural defense mechanism, but then you just prolong the process. So then it's not that you can't train for two weeks, actually you can't train for a month. So do what you can do in this situation. And unfortunately, we live in this instant gratification world where people want everything now and they struggle to sit with delayed gratification. They struggle to sit with just pausing and taking a step back to then reap the benefits later on. And if like this week, had I trained, I wouldn't have been able to train next week. And I perhaps now wouldn't have got to Friday and be feeling better if I hadn't have really honed in on my sleep quality and made sure that I was doing mindful um, mindful stretching and moving my, my body just for enjoyment, not for a grind, not for muscle mass, then I wouldn't be sat here now saying, oh, actually, do you know what? I'm starting to feel so much better now and my sleep's getting better. Actually, no, I'd probably be feeling worse. And then I've been doing myself a disservice. So fight against yourself. And that's not health. And remember, Health is a multifaceted puzzle. It is not just about what you eat and how much you move. Your emotional health, your relationship health, your psychological flexibility, adapting to situations like we have to adapt all the time. It's part of life. And this is one of the things that I've mentioned quite a few times in check ins this week, actually. In the... You go outside now and it's autumn here in the UK, isn't it? It's beautiful. There's leaves are dropping off the trees. Colors are changing and it's getting a bit chilly. So you're having to put a coat on. So you're adapting to the weather changing. Whereas two months ago, it was green. Everything was blooming. You perhaps were in your shorts. Hmm, Then maybe it was raining. You never know in the UK, right? (laughs) Um, But you adapt to the situation. So the power of nature shows us how important imperfection is and how important adaption is and having that psychological flexibility because you might go for a walk today i think it might warm up and might to take your coat off you're adapting it's part of life so instead of going down this very narrow-minded approach with your health as being just exercise and nutrition actually broadening your horizon to looking at what you can do and i haven't trained now for like two weeks And previous, like two years ago, if you just said to me, Rebecca, take two weeks of training, I'd been absolutely categorically not. I need to train. That's part of me. No, because I am not just a training person. I'm a human and I can do other things now that have supported my mental health, supported my physical health. And just because I'm into the gym for two weeks doesn't mean I'm going to gain fat. Absolutely not. I'm supporting my body, fighting this flu, fighting this virus. So that's my two pence on that. (laughs) excuse me so I have probably 11 12 things to get through right now so I'm going to crack on and so the first one I have got is um, comfort in food so (sighs) to an extent and you're probably going to not like me saying this food is comfort and there are situations where food is only going to provide that one source of comfort that you need however it shouldn't be our only source of comfort and it shouldn't be the only way we look to soothe our bodies it's situation relevant context dependent nutrition has been portrayed as so objective but it is really subjective it's individualized it's personalized and it's different for everybody Throughout my journey, as I've mentioned to you, there was a lot of times I found myself binge eating, and there was a lot of times I found myself then over restricting, and I suffered really poorly um, with a relationship with food. And it wasn't until I started to come out of that that I recognized actually a really powerful tool that I could do when I was noticing triggers. Because unfortunately, with diet culture, we're led to believe that. As soon as you've got your goal, as soon as you've like maintained your weight or whatever, that you sort of finish, that you don't have to do it anymore. That's categorically incorrect. Your health is something that's with you for the rest of your life. And if you are invested in your health, you're invested in that lifelong journey. And if you have suffered with a poor relationship with food, and I genuinely believe to an extent everybody has at certain times in their life, there is a reason that you've suffered with that. And it's usually down to an emotive response, right? And it is usually through a suppression of your emotions. And it usually dates back years and years and years, or even dates back like just a few years. But within inside you right now, that person now listening to this, within inside you, there was a small girl, a small person, a small man. they were they were looking to express how they were feeling. like the very first time that you noticed a trigger, it was it actually wasn't that food was there comforting you. it was that you wanted to express how you were feeling, but perhaps you didn't know how. And in society, we haven't been given the the knowledge or the tools to be able to express how we're feeling. We haven't been taught to label emotions. and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a safe space around them to be able to talk about how they're feeling without it being met through um quite derogatory responses perhaps, or perhaps quite a lot of dictation from others. That's something I see quite regularly. And if you haven't got that safe space around you and you do notice increasing triggers to seek comfort through food, I now take a step back and say to myself, what is that little girl inside of me asking? What was she really seeking then? Does she really want food right now? Or is she asking me to soothe her? Maybe she's asking me to take her to bed because maybe she's just exhausted. And that's now heightening my response to want to eat some more palatable foods. And when you start to look at it like that, you wouldn't feed your small child 10 tubs of ice cream. So then it just allows you to to take a little pause, to think about how you're feeling, to gain a little bit of clarity on those thoughts and then take steps forward based on how you want to feel not how you feel in the moment how you want to feel and like I said it isn't that you get discharged from doing your health and as we age you will have different triggers you will have different times that perhaps you want to seek comfort from food and it's not that we then suppress this it's not that we just get back on track completely the opposite actually we allow these situations um to help us grow, to help us flourish, so that we can learn alternative activities that can really nourish our souls instead of just eat, instantly seeking comfort from food. Now, if like your husband or whatever has cheated on you and you're now going through a divorce, yeah, you can get yourself in the bed and Jerry's because there is a time, a place, a time and a place for comfort, and that's okay. But outside of that, like day to day stress is navigating those, navigating small arguments that's not a you problem but you can take that on as a you problem if you just seek comfort from food because then that you problem is exasperated isn't it and then you're fusing directly into that situation putting yourself in that with a self-sabotage so you have to be able to take yourself out of this situation and recognize that that is a situation problem and it's not a you problem but then looking at that inner child within you all those years ago who really did seek um seek some solitude and seek some comfort but only had the available knowledge to get that from food and then that followed through to adolescence that followed through to adulthood now a couple of times it came up this week about hydration um so hydration is really important and for whatever reason it's massively overlooked in society now and dehydration masks a false hunger signal so if you are not actively drinking throughout the day and then you're saying oh, i'm craving food i'm craving food oh, i'm constantly eating above my calories take a step back are you drinking enough and eating three meals a day is pretty much a habit for most people isn't it and if you find that you are constantly preoccupied by food again <coughs> very subjective so make sure a you're eating enough calories make sure it's got protein and it. it's got a lot of dietary fiber in it but if you are constantly preoccupied by food checking with your emotions are you bored but then are you staying hydrated? So before you have your breakfast, say to yourself, right, I'm going to have it stack this. I'm going to have a glass of water beforehand. Before I have my lunch, yeah, you can have your lunch because you love your lunch. Have a glass of water beforehand and start to build on these habits. Because in essence, it isn't the food and that sustains your weight loss. It's what you do. Behavior change intervention is what's going to sustain your health. So working on habit formation and then habit stacking where you're noticing that behaviours are not quite in alignment with your health is what's going to help you sustain your results long term.
1: Sleep. Right. Put your
0: hands up. Me, hand is in the air. If you have ever said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right, that was me. That was me. My 20s, if I knew... In my thirties, I mean, I I say thirties. I'm thirty-two next week. Um, If I know, if I knew then what I know now, just imagine. (laughs) So yeah,
1: and again,
0: (laughs) overworking, burnout, grind harder. Doesn't matter where you put in that. Whether that's in the gym context. Whether that's in work, that is the message that we've been exposed to, right? And that's probably the message in which you would grew up around. I know for myself personally that all I learned from my dad was the Wells came from work. <laughs> and if you wanted to be successful, you had to go and work more. And even to this day now, he will still go and work six, seven days a week. And if you ask why, he says, because I've got two. Because I've got two. No, you haven't got two. Um, but it takes away so much of your rest, so much of your relaxation, your restoration, your recharging, your batteries. And I once had this amazing quote sent to me by Catherine You wouldn't let your phone run out of battery, would you? No, because we all love our phones, but you do regularly let yourself run out of battery. And then we're like, I'm going to push through exhaustion. And it heightens your emotions. It heightens hunger. It reduces things like muscle building, which I know a lot of people are invested in. So that's why I'm going down that avenue. (laughs) Like when you go to the gym, you're not building muscle mass. Newsflash, (laughs) you're creating the stimuli. So you're creating the stimuli with small little micro tears in the muscle, right? What you're doing outside of that is indicative of the growth, repair and recovery. Protein important. Energy balance, super duper important. Nutrients, very, very important. Sleep. Sleep. Your body does so much in sleep. Not only that, your REM cycle of sleep is what's known as like your emotional first aid, where your brain gets rid of all the metabolic waste built up throughout the day. So if you're not getting adequate amount of deep sleep, you're going to be more emotionally aware the next day. And like I said, it will play into hunger. It will play into society. So you'll probably feel like you're eating like a bottomless pit. You'll probably feel very preoccupied about food. And then what you'll probably do is drink lots of caffeine to try and grind through the day. But actually, no, that is going to inhibit your rest then later on that night. And do you know what? Taking your foot off the gas every now and again, you need to be doing that. Seven to nine hours sleep is optimal now. I know don't have children and I appreciate that it's really really difficult for a lot of people to get some sleep and of course we work through that but making sure that your your bedtime routine is optimal so you're getting yourself into a restful um state before you go to bed you're not sat on your phone scrolling social media exposing yourself to a lot of crap online that's perhaps going to increase any triggers if you've got anything on your mind write down journaling about it beforehand because all of these things can inhibit the quality of your sleep so it's not just about the quantity that the quality is really really important and as i mentioned at the beginning like i've been trying to do everything i can to support my body recovering from this last night i was in bed at half past eight And I didn't at one point feel bad. Now, a few years ago, I'd been like, oh my God, I can't get to bed now. It's way too early. No, because the more you can allow yourself to rest, the more you can allow yourself to recharge, the more you can then feel better the following day. If you are sleep deprived, you know, you are so disconnected from yourself, but then you try and grind harder and you try and work through it. But actually you drive so much of this disconnection and then you disengage with health activities. And if there's anybody else who needs to hear this, 65% of your energy is used at rest, like 5% is used in the gym. So if you are saying to yourself, oh, I need to go and get training tonight or I need to get up early and go to the gym, but you're absolutely exhausted, one, you're not going to build the muscle mass. Two, you're not going to be repairing and recovering. Three, you'd probably get greater benefits if you are that exhausted from sleeping a little bit longer. Because actually what you'll probably do then is follow it with preoccupation with food all day, food focus all day. Your quality of your food might be a little bit lower. And then it's Friday now, you might get to the end of the day and be like, oh, I'm just going to have a takeaway. And actually what would have been more beneficial for you was perhaps sleeping a little bit longer in the morning to then follow with more engaged healthy activities throughout the day. So another thing that
1: um, came up this week was environments.
0: So a lot of people believe, as I say quite regularly, that the pinnacle of success is found just what you eat and how much you move. But it's not. There are so many factors that are overlooked by people. And environment is one of them. Now, since um, COVID, a lot of people are still working from home yeah, that's me. Um, and I know a lot of you guys work from home as well. And it can be challenging for many to navigate their environment, right? And when work stress is a little bit high, or perhaps um, work commitments are a little bit low, maybe um, you're a little bit bored, you can then find yourself in the kitchen. Now, one of the most powerful interventions when we're looking at differentiating emotions from seeking comfort in food is mindful behaviors, right? Where we are observing how we're feeling, where we're pausing, um, where we are then gaining some clarity on how we're feeling, being able to label these emotions, again, giving them language, and then taking action based on how we want to feel, not how we feel in that moment. And creating an environment when you find yourself at home quite a lot is super duper powerful so a couple of things that I like to do and um, a couple of things that I did throughout my journey so I had a big thing with dark chocolate hobnobs and I'm honest about that with everybody so like if I went out uh, went to the shop maybe I would my dad loves them as well I live with my dad at the time um go and buy some dark chocolate hobnobs and I would eat the pack one pack on the way from um Esther to my dad's
1: and then I feel like I
0: can hear something. And then um, I would t- go to the um, go to my dad's and be like, "Oh, here's a pack of problems." And then we'd eat them basically. So I was gorging on a pack of biscuits first, and then I was saying to myself, like, as I um, start my journey, I just can't have them in the house. Like, I can't have them in the house. Have them in the house, got to have them all, and it was that all the time. Like. <laughs> If anything was in the house, the bar of chocolate was in the house. God forbid it stayed in the cupboard. I needed it out of the house because I just didn't trust myself. Not only was I playing into a self fulfilling prophecy, I didn't trust myself around uncertain foods. But I wanted to get to a place wholeheartedly where I could have food in the house, and it didn't talk to me. I felt that the food was talking to me in the cupboard, and I'm sure you can resonate with that to an extent. I felt that if I had something that was open, I needed it, and the only way to sort of overcome that was create an environment that worked for me. And I didn't want to be, you've probably seen it online, right? Just get rid of all the food in your house. Just don't have it in your house because that's the best thing to do. Well, no, that's not the best thing to do, is it? Because we live in a society where these foods that we enjoy are around everywhere. And then when you go to, say like you go to a christening, or you go to a birthday party or something, and this food is there, then what happens? You overeat on it because you've implemented this restriction and implemented this food rule. And whilst it's working for you at home, no, then you see it, then you overeat it, or then you fear it even more, and then you isolate yourself from situations, and then this exasperates his negative relationship with food and with yourself. So in an environment situation. <coughs> I use sticky notes. So I wanted the food in the house. And I wanted to be able to rationalize how I was feeling. So work on my emotions, work on labeling them, building that emotional granularity and being able to enjoy food with a very neutral language, a very neutral approach. So I did use sticky notes and these sticky notes were on the food. So I created an environment that, and the environment is still there now Um, it's a behavior change that has really helped me, should I say. Um, So now my environment is if where my biscuits are, where my chocolate is, and I have a lot in the house, I have to walk past the fruit bowl first. So I walk past the fruit bowl first. And then when I go into the um, said cupboard, um, there was once upon a time some sticky notes on there that said things like, do you need this? Pause and think. Take some deep breaths. So that was in essence, in essence, bringing my conscious brain to the situation. Because for a lot of time, if there was an emotional trigger, or if there was something that perhaps heightened how I was feeling, maybe I was bored. It was very much a subconscious, and it is subconscious for so many people. If you have habitually ate through boredom, if you have habitually ate through emotions. You won't be consciously making that decision to go and do it. It will be subconscious. It will be taking you there. So that's very much driven by your thinking brain. So what we're trying to do is bring your observation brain into it, your conscious awareness to it. And how do we do that? Okay, create an environment. Boom. Cool. Okay, so if you see a sticky note, oh, I'm having to read that. I'm think about that. And then that can bring that conscious brain in where you can take a deep breath and then you can acknowledge, oh, maybe I am just bored. Maybe I'm sick to death watching, I'm a celebrity or whatever's on telly. And maybe I just need to take myself outside for 10 minutes to do some deep breathing. Or maybe actually, yeah, I do want this right now and that's okay. But whatever it is, you first observe how you're feeling and then you take action based on how you want to feel again. Okay. Um, So Julia asked about plant protein, actually. So uh, vegetarian and vegan and omnivore. So I am all for following more of a vegetarian-based diet at the minute. Firstly, I'm finding it cheaper. I am finding it cheaper because it is cheaper to buy like tins of beans, um, packs of quinoa and all veggies. Now, we know... Protein is really important. Okay. The reason it's really important is because it's got the nine essential amino acids in that our bodies need to complete that chain of amino acids within every single cell. Now, to get the essential amino acids in their complete ratio, that comes mainly from whole animal protein sources. Of course, if you're vegetarian or vegan, you're not eating that. If you are just simply opting for some vegetarian meals, and you're still eating dairy, you're still eating eggs, then you will be getting the essential amino acids in their complete ratio. The main essential amino acid that we need to make sure we are getting adequate amounts of is leucine in around about three grams. Leucine is the key player in what's known as muscle protein synthesis. So again, that is the element that helps repair, grow and recover your muscle mass to in essence, then create, um, then adapt to the stimuli which you've created to then go again with your muscle building or in essence, just retain your muscle mass if you're in a caloric deficit, support aging, that sort of thing. Now, there are two complete sources of vegetarian protein, mycoprotein, so that's like corn and soy protein. Now, you can absolutely get enough protein if you are following a vegetarian or vegan-based diet but they do tend to need a higher protein intake. The reason being is vegetarian and vegan protein sources outside of microprotein, as well um, are incomplete protein sources. So they don't have the complete ratio. So you have to pair them up. Um, so you pair like legumes with beans um, to complete the protein source. Now, if you go into it in quite a lot of detail, you can find yourself in this rabbit hole of like, oh my God, have I got enough leucine in with this guanamine? Have I got, and am I am I pairing enough incomplete sources here? So we know from the research, it's 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo of lean mass when you're looking at protein intake. To make sure that you get an adequate amount as a vegetarian or a vegan, I always put you on a higher protein intake. And I put you on a higher protein intake so that then you are putting more of your incomplete together to complete it without getting lost in this rabbit hole. I also advise opting for around about 30 plants per week because that increases the variety as well, which supports your gut microbiome and ensures that again, we are getting enough of those essential amino acids in. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely all for it. There is in the Facebook group, um, a list of vegetarian protein sources, and there is also the skeleton meal examples that have got three days of vegetarian, three days of vegan. And then there is the lentil ragu and the veggie bolognese. But if anybody's got any veggie, um, veggie recipes, put them in the group and pin them, um, hashtag recipe, um, just to broaden people's horizon but yeah things like butternut squash um i know obviously pumpkin um i like to look at seasonal things so um like aubergine at the minute um so i've been making a veggie bolognese veggie bolognese sorry and adding aubergine carrots um courgettes mushrooms onion to it and i absolutely love it um so
1: self-fulfilling prophecies next one Okay,
0: if you tell yourself something, you will follow with that. Okay, example, example. I'm going to have dinner on Sunday <coughs> and I'm going to have breakfast before I go. Great. And then go for a Sunday dinner with my family. Great. Okay. Um, but I know every time I go for dinner on Sunday, I come home and I just snack. So I'll just be snacking. Right, okay. If you're telling yourself that, you will follow with those actions. Again, it's habitual. It's changeable. And I think too often we follow these stories throughout adulthood, throughout our life as being fact to ourselves. Like, You can absolutely go out, have Sunday dinner, come home and not snack your way through the evening. You can do that. But if you're telling yourself a story If you're telling yourself you will snack, what will you do then? You will sit down and you'll be preoccupied by food because that's a habit. And then you will find yourself snacking. And then you'll sit there, confirm your own bias, drop me a message, Rebecca, I told you, I can't stop snacking. Yeah, okay, what if, what if, just imagine this situation, okay? You gave yourself permission to eat breakfast because that's what we do, we eat protein before we go. Yep. you went and had some dinner very present with it you know what you really enjoyed it you had some really awesome conversation checked in with your hunger throughout you came home and you said to yourself i'm going to go for a walk now firstly it's going to help digestion secondly it's going to help manage my blood glucose levels thirdly it gets me out of the house i get to go for a walk privileged right then in the evening tonight if i notice i'm hungry I'm going to allow myself some food, but I'm going to make a choice that aligns to my health. So perhaps I'm going to have a bowl of yogurt and perhaps I will top that with um, baked apples with cinnamon. I'm saying that because this is exactly what I recommended to this client. And I'm going to give myself permission to eat that. And I'm not going to go into the evening and say to myself, you're going to snack your way through it because I don't like doing that. And breaking a habit is hard. It doesn't just come easy. And... You've all probably read Atomic Habits. They say it's like two weeks to form a habit. Actually, if you look at the nitty-gritty research, a lot of it sits around like 252 days. Um, but a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you're telling yourself a story, that will follow. So look at switching up your narrative. Um, snacking. Snacking. Let's follow on snacking. because it, it forms quite well to that,
1: doesn't it? So... It's not that I'm against snacking at all. But if you are snacking throughout the day,
0: like, and I mean, constantly snacking. So firstly, you're going to inhibit nutrients within meals. Secondly, it's probably not going to be around protein sources. It's not going to be that you're snacking on carrots. (laughs) Thirdly, You're not going to get into what's known as a fasted state. So when we eat, okay, you have an increase in your insulin and then you have glucose circulating in your bloodstream. Like people seem to have this fear around insulin increasing. It's freaking normal from eating. Like it's a completely normal process in digestion. And then you have blood glucose circulating in your system. Okay, And then what we've got in our, our bodies are um, glucose transporters. So you can think about these as like little men within your body and they open the door. And when they open the door, they are taking glucose from the bloodstream and taking that to uh, muscles, uh, muscle surfaces and cell membranes, helping manage your blood glucose. So then muscle protein synthesis is increased. <clears throat> and of course we know that that is increasing and then that drops off after like three to four hours. And it's helping manage your blood glucose. It's helping manage your insulin you're getting into what's known as a fasted state. We go from fed state to fasted state. So within that time, muscle protein synthesis, management of blood glucose, and then of course, time to do other things outside eating. <laughs> Whereas if you are constantly eating, constantly snacking throughout the day, not only is that gonna play havoc with your energy levels. So think about like putting nitrous oxide in a minute, you'll get this huge spike and then you'll drop off because then you'll crash. That's exactly how you will feel throughout the day. So you're never getting into this um, fasted state. You're constantly in a fed state. That'll play havoc with your glucose levels as well. So I would look at the quality of your food if you are snacking throughout the day. Now, there is a time and a place for snacking. Again, it's subjective. So if you're looking at like the DSM-5 binge eating spectrum, those who are clinically diagnosed with binge eating, They are recommended to eat regularly throughout the day. So like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, um, evening meal, snack. They're helping manage their behavior. But for gen population, like eating three meals a day, couple of snacks. Yeah, that's grand. But if you're finding yourself eating like 1600 calories in 12 snacks, Dietary fiber will be low, saturated fat's likely going to be high, protein's going to be really low. And you know what? You're probably suffering with poor cognition and you're probably feeling pretty crappy in yourself. So, reframing that as well. Um, <clears throat> if you are having a bad body image day, okay, now it's not that they will never happen, they will happen. We all have them. So firstly, the first element of self-compassion is common humanity, okay? We all suffer with bad body image days. It's very much like when I say um, you'll never be consistently like on track, should we say, with your calories. Like slip-ups are inevitable. They will happen. Life happens. Especially with females, um perimenopause menopause uh, menstruating females your body is going to fluctuate it's going to fluctuate about months um with males it'll fluctuate with sleep deprivation training performance stress levels your body will change it will change as we age if you hold your health whole, whole self-worth on your body image you're setting yourself up for failure failure preoccupation with your weight and your shape has been shown to um heightened disordered eating, heightened dysfunctional eating, engaging in body image talk is linked directly to disordered eating behaviors and if you are having and experiencing a bad body image day and then you're standing in front of the mirror and you are saying to yourself you are fat, what is that doing for you in the day? Because I can guarantee that you will not then follow that with engagement in healthful activities No, it will disengage you. Okay. And body acceptance doesn't come from fat shaming. Recognition of body functionality doesn't come from fat shaming and accepting your body doesn't come from fat shaming. We've got to have psychological flexibility with our bodies changing, changing monthly some people suffer severe bloating around their menstrual cycle. Some people suffer severe bloating around sleep deprivation. Some people suffer severe bloating around emotions. Some people suffer severe bloating when they're poorly, but your body is still there for you, okay? So even if you are sleep deprived, your body is still taking you through the day. Your body is still allowing you to breathe. It's still allowing you to then go to work, it's still allowing you to cuddle your children, it's still allowing you to stroke your dog, it's still allowing you to eat, it's still allowing you to move your body. If you are poorly, your body is still allowing you to do all of these things, your body is is protecting you, it is supporting you and when you can take yourself away from valuing yourself based on how you look, let me tell you, there's rainbows, there is rainbows and when you can look at body functionality And this is not me saying love yourself. Categorically not. I don't believe in that messaging. I'm saying accept yourself. And when you can accept yourself and hold greater appreciation for what your body does outside of how it looks, then you have greater flexibility with the days when you are suffering with bad body image and you then engage in health activities that are in alignment with how you want to feel. So things I like to do, put on a baggy jumper, I like to reflect on it. So I journal about it. I journal about what my body is doing to support me, um, how I can then support it. Um, and I like to do some mindful movement. So if I'm having a really bad body image day, I won't then go and try and deadlift my body weight and try and ground harder. No, I'll go for a walk, but I will leave my phone at home. So I'll get out in nature and I'll look at all the wonderful colours. And you know what? I might spend a little bit more time cuddling Edith. And I might even reach out to a friend and just chat to them. Do things outside of my body, but recognize my body allows me to do that. Um, If you are going out for food, say, right, you're going out tonight for food. Let me tell you now this amazing thing.
1: One bad meal doesn't have to spiral into a weekend. revolutionary isn't it so balance moderation flexibility enjoyment if you hold labels around meals if you hold moral descriptions
0: around foods If you inhibit your ability to enjoy certain food and you're constantly striving for the lowest calorie option, constantly striving to control your food intake, you will find yourself going off track and you will find yourself likely spiraling. If you can sit and say to yourself, right, today I'm going out for food, that is more than just the food, I'm going out to connect with whoever I'm going out with. I'm going out to be social. I'm going out to have a bit of time at the house, have somebody else cook for me to actually try some different food. In what context does that make me bad? In what context does that make this a failure? It doesn't. You adapt. And you eat around about 21 meals of a week. If you're going out once, twice, three, four times a week, you still have an abundance of other meals that. Are nutrient dense, are protein dense. And if for that whole week, say it's your birthday and you're going out celebrating <coughs> and your goal is fat loss and you didn't lose any weight,
1: what is the worst thing that will happen? Your sole purpose
0: on this planet is not to control your food, not to control your exercise, not to constantly be losing weight outside of that you absolutely can enjoy life and i think it's really important to drive that message home especially as we approach christmas especially as we approach a more festive time a more social time that going out for one meal is not bad does not send you off track but if you tell yourself that again it's another self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it if you tell yourself that you will then follow with actions towards that. So then you wake up in the morning tomorrow, cheer what's today? I'm going to get an Uber Eats McDonald's to, uh, breakfast. Um, and then because I've had that today, I'm going to get um, Greg's pasty for lunch. And then because I've had that, I'm going to order a Domino's. And what are you doing to help yourself with that situation? And when you look at removing these descriptions and removing these food labels and looking at what you can do, not what you believe through mis-messaging from tight culture that you should be doing, when you look at what you can do, what can you do tomorrow if you are, say, going out for a meal tonight? I'm going to say that you can potentially wake up and write three things down you're grateful for because I love gratitude. And if you practice that daily, you will feel better. And maybe, just maybe, you can have a nutrient-dense breakfast. Maybe you could have some porridge. Maybe you could have some yogurt. Maybe you could do yourself smoked salmon and eggs on toast. And then I'm just going to say this one other thing. Maybe you could go for a walk. And and maybe you could just, even if you haven't got the ability to go for a walk, you could just get outside and do some deep breathing and reflect on last night. Um, Reflect on the amazing memories you made. Um, what did you learn in that situation? Because every situation presents an opportunity to learn. And then potentially you could just move on with the day. And that's adding value to your life, isn't it? Because you went out socially, you were flexible with it, you reflected on how much you enjoyed the situation. And even if you are going out, just remaining mindful in that situation. Again, checking in with your, your fullness throughout. Now, it's one important message to just um take home as well. If you are um in a fat loss phase from a lean physique, you have to dim down your fullness, obviously. Um, So if you are checking in with fullness throughout, just being aware of that. But eat into a neutral energy balance or even a little bit of a surplus for one day is not going to cause you to gain body fat at all, at all. But if you follow that with a self-fulfilling prophecy, what turns from being like a thousand calorie burger then turns into like an 8,000 calorie weekend. So it's looking at what you want to do, how you want to feel, and what you
1: can add to your days. And scale weight. Last one,
0: last one to touch on scale weight. Okay. Scale weight will fluctuate, it will fluctuate each and every day irrespective of your goal your scale weight is likely going to fluctuate between one and six pound per day that's where it sits out research and that's in clinical settings um your scale weight is not indicative of fat gain or fat loss scale weight changes are inevitable you can gain weight and lose body fat you can lose scale weight and retain body fat your scale weight is not a direct representation of your self-worth Your scale weight will change for things like hydration, sodium levels, um, sleep deprivation, menstrual cycle, menopause, training performance, training fatigue, emotions, stresses. There are so many things uh, that are going to affect the changes on scales. You are around about 65 to 70% made of water. So it's showing more like day-to-day water changes. If you want to use a scale weight as a metric, don't just go and weigh yourself once a week. Take it more frequently, log it, and then look at the trend. If if you're logging it and um, there's a over like a month, there's a downward trend, you are losing body fat. If there's an upward trend, you're gaining weight. If it's a bit like this, maintaining. Your scale weight shouldn't be the only metric that you use because it is so changeable. And I know I've been there, done it, even been to classes, got a round of applause, I've lost two pound. And I actually was I saw a um a post on Facebook this week. Because of course I'm very much in this industry, so it's like suggested for you. And in fact, I'm just gonna get it up now. Because I did save it. Um just bear with me. do do. do, do,
1: do. So
0: it was a Simming World person feeling sad. Only on week four and stayed the same, which is only a five pound gone. So this week I'm on it. Omelette, tomato, pepper, carrot, possum soup and broccoli soup.
1: I'm not going to eat my sins. So she's on week four that i mean i didn't reach
0: out but even with with females especially like there will be weeks where you do retain water because of your hormone fluctuations leading up to your menstrual cycle so like your late luteal phase a lot of people do suffer bloating and when you are a little bit bloated your body is just retaining a little bit of water So she could well have been on her, like in her late luteal phase, she could have well been on her cycle. She could have had a poor sleep all week because she's got a newborn. There are so many things that play into the scale weight. Now, if you are in a consistent fat loss phase, and I'm saying consistent for a consistent period of time, I'm not saying a day, I'm not saying a week, I'm saying like a month, two months, takes a lot. If you're consistent in a fat loss phase, fat loss is pretty consistent, pretty linear as well. Now, again, fat loss is not shown on your scales. So even though she's not seen a change on the scales, she may well have lost body fat this week, but the scale's not going to tell her that. A 15 pound set of scales from Boots is not going to tell you how much body fat you've lost. So doing waist hips circumference, Checking in with your energy levels, like maybe you feel a bit fitter this week, that's success. Maybe you didn't feel like a breath walking upstairs, that's success. Maybe you ran a little bit further, that's success. And you can lose like a centimetre off your waist and the scales not change. In fact, sometimes the scales can even go up, but you've lost a centimetre, which is fat loss. So, and remember, fat loss is more metabolically efficient than just weight loss because it shows that you're retaining your muscle mass. If you're retaining your muscle mass, you're playing into metabolic function. So that's supporting aging. That is very, very, very important. And unfortunately, diet clubs have massed over that for so many years to the point now where you talk to people and they're saying, like I'm feeling saggy, I'm feeling saggy as they're aging, they're losing, they've have lost muscle mass because they put themselves into a deficit and just a substantial amount of like carbohydrates in terms of their energy intake because all they've done throughout years is count sins or count points they haven't known the uptake of protein and the importance of it and like how resistance training is so important especially as we age and especially perimenopause through the menopause with the changes in your estrogen so just bearing that in mind as well. And especially, again, as we approach Christmas, your scales are going to change. You're going to eat foods that are higher in sodium some days. You're going to eat foods that are higher in carbohydrates some days. You might even have some alcohol some days. That's okay. And you might even find yourself in more of a surplus over a few days. That's also okay. It's context relevant? Again, situation dependent. Like overeating is not bad. It's the intent behind it. If the intent is emotion and you feeling out of control and you can't stop, that's binge eating where we need psychological support as well through that situation. However, if you're just going out and you're having a burger and fries and you love it, then you might overeat your calories that one day. And then if you stand on the scales and weigh yourself the next morning and then start with this unwanted narrative, unsolicited comments towards yourself, what are you doing to support your mental health there? Instead, looking at what you can add to that day. Again, morning walk, getting yourself outdoors, looking at nature, being mindful, engaging with health activities around um, supporting the uptake of uh, protein and like fruit and vegetables in your diet for the day. Are they just moving on with life? Because those who get results, long-term success, and I'm talking about here, not just like, oh, I've lost a stone in six weeks. Yeah, how much have you? How much have you lost, and how much have you sustained? Twelve months, twenty-four months, thirty-six months later. But how much have you sustained in terms of your behaviours that you've worked on? Because that's the biggest change. And those who get results, literally, are not lucky. They're not perfect all the time. But no, they still engage in these healthful activities for the majority of the time. For the majority. So some weeks that's 90, 10, some weeks that's 80, 20, some weeks that's 50, 50, but they don't allow these one meals out, these couple of days abroad, whatever to spiral, because obviously then that just exasperates this disengagement with health activities. And then of course, if you're disengaging with health activities based on like your scale weight or based on one meal, the consumption is higher, your movement is lower, but then that's impacting your mental well-being as well, right? so I think that's pretty much it actually Uh, there's quite a lot to go through there I hope there was a lot of take-homes for you and if you have any questions as always or wanted to go through any more topics please please give me a shout thank you so much